Within your Bible this morning, congregation, we would direct your attention to the Gospel according to John, to the first chapter, and we'll read from this chapter beginning at verse 1 through verse 18. Then after we read from the Word of God, we'll turn our attention to the Belgic Confession, Article 10, and you can find that in your Forms and Prayers booklet on page 162. So we read first from the inspired Word of God, John 1, verses 1 through 18 in your Pew Bible. Uh, That is on page 1,220. And then following that, what we believe is a faithful summary of the Word of God, the Belgic Confession, and more specifically, Article 10. And that is on page 162 in your Forms and Prayers book. We read from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me is preferred before Me, for He was before Me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. Article 10 of the Belgian Confession is entitled, The Deity of Christ, and it states, We believe that Jesus Christ, according to His divine nature, is the only Son of God, eternally begotten, not made nor created, for then He would be a creature. He is one in essence with the Father, co-eternal, the exact image of the person of the Father, and the reflection of His glory, being in all things like Him. He is the Son of God. Not only from the time He assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as the following testimonies teach us when they are taken together. Moses says that God created the world. And John says that all things were created by the Word, which he calls God. The letter to the Hebrews says that God made the world by His Son. Paul says that God created all things by Jesus Christ. And so it must follow that He who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ already existed when all things were created by Him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says that His origin is from ancient times, from eternity, And Hebrews says that He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. So then, He is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. 
a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in John 1, verse 14, these powerful words given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That summarizes the work, the redemptive work of our God in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John continues, and we beheld His glory. We saw something of His glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. And when we talk about that glory, John helps us understand what exactly the nature of that glory was when he says, full of grace and truth. And my humble desire this morning, and of course it is completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit's blessing, but my humble desire is this morning that as we gather together as a congregation of those who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might see for the first time and by continued renewal experiences something of the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Jesus Christ in that He is full of grace. That He is full of truth. And so we turn our attention this morning uh, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, emphatically emphasizing that He is very God of very God. More specifically, we have then within our theme, our belief concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, boys and girls, deity is kind of a big word and kind of a hard word to understand. What we mean by that is Jesus Christ is God. Deity means God. And so as we've talked about in recent weeks, based upon what we see and what we read and what we know from the Bible, there is one only God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But in that one God, there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this morning, what we want to emphasize is that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is indeed God. Very God equal with the Father and equal with the Spirit, and that the Son has always existed. And that He has always existed as God, with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So as we unfold our belief concerning the deity of Jesus Christ, we'll notice this morning, first of all, the proclamation of that deity, and then secondly, the revelation of the deity, and then thirdly, the recognition of the deity. So we have the proclamation, the revelation, and the recognition of the deity, or the godness, if you will, of Jesus Christ. So first of all, then this morning, the proclamation of the deity of Jesus Christ. Much could be said about who Jesus Christ is. Much should be said about who Jesus Christ is in a variety of contexts and in a variety of avenues. This morning, we simply want to say three things about who Jesus Christ is. He is the eternal Son, the only begotten Son, and as the eternal only begotten Son, He is the express image of the Father. So for the well-being of our faith, as we mature in our understanding of the Christian Gospel, you and I, as those who follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, must clearly understand that the Son is the eternal Son. That's why we read from John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. A simple statement, but a profound statement. And what is communicated in that statement is that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and that He has always existed 
from all of eternity with the Father with the Spirit. Now, our finite minds have a difficult time comprehending all of the implications of that statement. And so we satisfy our minds with these simple truths that there has never ever been a moment in which the Father existed and the Son did not exist. And if you want to, even though it's not technically correct, if you want to think of eternity as time extended infinitely backwards, there was never a moment in which the Son did not exist. This all according to His divine nature. Now we fully understand also as we mature in the faith that in the fullness of time the Word became flesh. uh, That the divine nature of the Son assumed or took upon itself a very real human nature, a very real human body, a very real human soul underneath the glorious work of the Holy Spirit within the womb of the Virgin Mary. And we trust that Future weeks will grant us the opportunity to explain those things more in depth. But referring to His divine nature, the Son is eternal. The Word was God. Prior to the beginning, as we read it in Genesis 1, verse 1, there was nothing except the glorious Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this already should begin to impress us with something of the glory of our great and holy God. There is an infinite gulf between all that is created and that which is uncreated. And the only thing, if we can speak respectfully of thing, the only thing that is uncreated is God Himself in His three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything else is the result of the creative work of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so there is the eternal Son who is the only begotten Son. And that's the second thing that we would communicate by way of proclamation to ourselves this morning. The only begotten Son. You'll notice in John 1, verse 14 and John 1, verse 18, there is this statement that the Son is the only begotten of the Father. And verse 18 repeats it. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. Because we understand also again by way of Scripture that there is the adoption of sons and of daughters, including all of the Christians, so that you and I come here this morning and we profess that we are part of the family of God. That we have been born, yes, in reference to our physical birth, but we also profess that we have been reborn, that we have been born as sons and daughters of God through the work of regeneration, through the new birth that has been given us by the work of the Holy Spirit, and by virtue of God's grace that we have been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters who can call upon God as our Father. And while these truths are certainly true, there is a distinction between our sonship and the sonship of the second person of the Trinity and that He is the only begotten of the Father. Now here again we get into technical language that is somewhat necessary and yet also somewhat mysterious. Uh, So the only begottenness, again if we can coin a phrase, is the result that the Son, in relationship to His individual, personal existence, is begotten by the Father. Now we referenced this a few weeks ago, and we say that there's a faint human analogy Uh, that uh, an earthly father, a human father, causes the independent existence 
of a biological son. But the, the great difference is that the human earthly father has always existed prior to the son. Now, if you remove that time gap, you see something of the faint analogy of the begetting work of the father. But the idea here is, is that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son in his personal existence. So it's not that is that the Father communicates the divine nature to the Son. No, the Son possesses the divine nature in all of His fullness from all of eternity. But in the eternal, necessary act, the Father causes the distinct personal existence of the Son. And the point that comes out of this is what we have there in our third some point, that the Son is the express image of the Father. Now here again, we have a faint human analogy. And there are certainly exceptions, but if you take a biological son many, many, many times, and although perhaps the sons don't always appreciate or always want to acknowledge this, the son often looks like the father and acts like the father and may even talk like the father. And so we have these sayings, you know, the apple does not fall far from the tree. And at times, uh, others can pick up and say, oh, you, you must be the son of so-and-so. And this applies also, of course, to daughters. You must be the daughter of so-and-so. You look just like him. Or you look just like her. You, you, you walk with the same gait as your biological father. If you remove again any time distinction... That's something of what is meant by that the Son is the express image of the Father, perfectly reflecting the Father as we read in Hebrews 1, verse 3. And the main point of application is that when we would desire to know the Father, it must be through the knowledge of the Son. And so that our theological knowledge and also our fellowship, our communion with God the Father must always be directed through God the Son. And this gives us a proper Trinitarian understanding and warns us against any type of an attempt to know the Father apart from the Son. And so the Son is indeed the delight of the Father. And the Son must be also the delight of the Christian so that we worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but especially by focusing upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is the will of the Father as well as the desire of the Holy Spirit, that the Son would be glorified. Yes, also the Father. But if you would desire to glorify the Father, the Father would instruct us, then glorify the Son. You can think of what the Father proclaims from heaven itself upon the baptism of the Son. This is my well-beloved Son. Hear Him. Heed Him. Listen to Him. Follow after Him. And so, although it may sound sentimentally wonderful to say, well, I follow the Father regardless of the Son, that's not biblical Christianity. If we would seek to glorify the Father... We must begin by glorifying the Son because the Son is the eternal, only begotten Son who is the express image of the Father. So that Jesus Christ can say in John 14, verse 9, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. 
And if you would desire to know who the Father is, look at the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And I want to ask you this morning, as I ask my own heart, do we recognize and appreciate that the Son is full of grace and full of truth? And that the Father also is full of grace and full of truth? This is something of the proclamation of the deity of Jesus Christ. But how do we know these things? And here, in transition into our second point, I would emphasize this is... Absolutely important, especially to the young people of this congregation. I mean, it's one thing for me to stand up before you and say, well, the Son is the eternal Son, and He's the only begotten Son, and He's the express image of the Father. But there's always this lingering question. Maybe it's not expressed, but it's always lingering. And especially within the hearts and the minds of the young people of this congregation as they prepare to be bombarded with the messages that come from the world and that come from higher institutions of knowledge and study, how do we know these things to be true? And the answer in our second point, the revelation of the deity, is quite simple. God Himself reveals these things to be true. How do we know that the Son is the eternal, only begotten Son and the express image of the Father? Because God Himself reveals these things. Well, where does He reveal those things? In His Word. And that's why the Belgian Confession spent so many articles laying a solid foundation for our knowledge. Because true Christian faith is a certain knowledge, a sure knowledge, a confident knowledge based ultimately upon the Word of God. So within the Word of God, we have the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And one thing you'll also note in our Belgian Confession that gives you... Uh, a reference for why we hold these confessions is that it's saturated with scriptural proofs. Uh, the author of the Belgian Confession doesn't say, well, uh, the ancient church has always taught this, and, and the councils of the church have taught this. But no, he goes back to Scripture with repeated uh, texts that are chosen not as an exhaustive expression of what the Bible reveals about the Son, but as a selective expression of what the Bible testifies concerning the Son. And so the Bible, the Word of God, reveals to us the deity or the godness of the second person of the Trinity, the Son, in the work of creation and in the role of the Messiah and in the work of the interceding high priestly work. So first of all, uh, in the subpoint there, the revelation of the deity is seen in the work of creation. And this is not just some hobby horse that conservative Reformed churches come to every so often. Uh, the doctrine of creation, the understanding of how all things came into existence is absolutely fundamental to our understanding of knowledge. And so our first revelation of the work, the divine work of the Son is found there in the work of creation itself. Because as Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, God made the world by His Son. And as the Apostle Paul also says in Colossians 1, verse 16, God created all things by Jesus Christ. And so in our theology, we can never have the Son. We can never have the second person of the Trinity as some sidelined person in relationship to the work of creation. 
And this also implies that creation, the doctrine of creation, is not some extra uh, ordinary, put off to the side theological topic. It, it in and itself is of the essence of the gospel. Because it refers and relates to the work of the Son. And when God created the world and all that is in it, He did so by His Son. And we understand from Scripture that the creative work of calling things into existence from out of nothing is a work that is particular to God. Only God can speak where there is nothing and cause things to come into existence. Only God Himself can say, let there be light into the abyss of darkness and there be light. And the Bible is very clear that God created all things by the Son. And so the the logic, if you want to call it that, the logic is if only God can create out of nothing, and if Jesus Christ created as the Son, then the Son must be God. So we can say Jesus Christ created the world and all that is in it. This also, and we're not going to trace out the implications of this, but we just want to stress that creation is linked to redemption. Sometimes you'll read theologians and they kind of portray this distinction or this even division while there is the created world over here and then there is the redemptive realm over here. So that there are two different orders or, or, or two different realms in which we live life. But if we properly understand that the entirety of creation is the result, yes, of the Father and of the Spirit, but also of the Son, then we see that every single aspect of the created realm must be subordinated to the Son. And the primary work of the Son is that of glorifying the Father through the work of redemption so that this created realm is not some intramural activity to fill up time between eternity past and eternity future, but rather that this created realm and everything that is in it exists according to the eternal decree of God as called into existence by the Son. So that we can indeed say, in reference to the Son, the earth in all of its fullness glorifies the Son. Not only in the work of creation, but also then, and this is not a different role, but in the role of the Messiah. So the article, Article 10, also refers to a messianic prophecy in relationship to the Son, found in Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And of course the reference there is to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the anointed deliverer, as the anointed redeemer. And now notice this, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So the Messiah, the anointed redeemer, deliverer, is from everlasting. And if we, and I trust many, most, Perhaps all, if we were faithfully catechized, we learn from a young age that the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, must have a real divine nature. Our salvation must come from God. Because only the divine nature 
would be able to sustain the infinite wrath of God against sin. Now, this is not just antiquated theology. This is the very heartbeat of what it means to be reconciled with God. That the eternal Son of God in His divine nature, but also in His human nature, as those two natures were united together, that as the human nature experienced the wrath of God being poured out against sin, the divine nature upheld the human nature. And so I often told my former students, it is the divine nature of Jesus Christ that enables the human nature to proclaim triumphantly from the cross, it is finished. Because no mere human being could ever make that proclamation. No mere human being could sustain the infinite wrath of God and then triumphantly proclaim it is finished. And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ says from the cross. The divine nature enables the human nature. Of course, there's one person. We're not denying that. But the divine nature enables the human nature to say it is finished. And then also three days later, it is the divine nature reunited to the human nature that breaks forth uh, the bonds of the tomb and comes forth from the portals of death itself. And it is the divine nature uh, that ascends into heaven, of course, with the human nature. And it is the divine nature that enables the human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish the glorious work of redemption. And so we need, we need a divine and a human mediator. And so this proclamation of the divinity as seen in the work of creation and in the role of the Messiah, but then also in the work of intercession because we can never in our understanding of Christ stop at the glorious ascension. We must continue in our understanding of the work of intercession. Here reference is made to Hebrews 7, verse 3, which talks about Jesus Christ in His glorious office of priest. And in Hebrews 7, verse 3, there is the reference that Jesus Christ has neither beginning of days nor end of life. And the reference there is to the continual interceding work of Jesus Christ, whereby He is our advocate before the Father. Advocate has the idea in some ways of a defense attorney, but not just in a cold contractual, yes, I will agree to defend you for a large sum of money, uh, but in the sense of, I will be the one who pleads your cause. And congregation, I just want to ask you this morning, are you aware of the fact that the eternal Son of God ever lives is always present to plead your cause before the throne of the Father. I don't want you to have the impression that the Father is displeased with us and that the Son must somehow twist the Father's arm or put a certain spin on facts. No, the Father is pleased with His children, adopted children, But think of it this way, the Son lives day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, 
Century after century, millennium after millennium, the Son lives and is present there in the throne room of heaven itself on our behalf, presenting the evidence of the completed and finished work of redemption so that Satan cannot gain access to the throne room to bring any accusation against us. Because the Son is there. So to speak, showing the hands that have been pierced showing the side that was stricken with the spear, presenting the completed work of redemption on behalf of you, child of God. And so we go through the days of our lives and we experience the times in which laughter fills our soul and we experience the time in which tears fill our eyes. The times in which we have sorrows. The times in which we have disappointments. The times in which we face Seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Never forget that the eternal Son of God lives to intercede on our behalf. The Scripture makes that clear. And we must recognize that. And that's our third point, the recognition of the deity. Underneath the revelation of the Scriptures and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, the mature Christian comes to recognize that the eternal Son of God is divine and responds then first by invoking His name. Invoking here means to call upon a deity in prayer. And so in the Christian life, and we'll be brief with this, especially this morning, in the Christian life, the Christian prays, yes, to the Father, Christ taught us to pray our Father who is in heaven, but we also pray to the Son. We invoke His name in our prayers and in our worship, and especially in the very act of repentance and faith itself, as Acts 2, verse 29 makes clear. Uh, There in the inaugural, you might say, apostolic proclamation of the Gospel, there is this powerful testimony, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord... In reference, of course, to all three persons of the Trinity, but especially in relationship to the eternal Son of God. Whoever calls, whoever invokes in genuine expressions of faith, the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's also what we have the wonderful opportunity to make known to you and to all who hear these words again this morning. Anyone, rich, poor, those who are free, those who may be bound, male, female, Gentile, Jew, whoever it may be, old or young, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever invokes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever says, Lord, have mercy upon me, that person shall certainly be saved from the guilt and from the condemnation of sin. And so, there is this call to all of us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall certainly be saved. Apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no possibility of salvation. And today is the day of salvation. And so this call goes out with the simple exclamation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Invoke His name. And those who sincerely invoke His name are those who will also worship His name. Since Jesus Christ is very God of very God, He is the proper object of our worship. Uh, The commandments are clear. You shall have no other gods before Me, says our Lord. We shall not bow down to 
idols or to images, whether they be fabrications of wood, stone, metals, whether they be fabrications of the pursuits of this world, uh, the quest for glory, uh, perhaps material possessions. None of those things are to be the objects of our worship, but God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are to be the objects of our worship. And, And it's a logical deduction, you might say, that if we have beheld the glory of the Son, then we will desire to worship the Son. And perhaps we have it wrong uh, when we are constantly considering ways in which we can propel people to gather together for congregation worship. Perhaps there should be more of an emphasis upon do you not desire to glorify the Son? Considering who He is, And considering what He has done, considering that He is very God of very God, and that He is the One on your behalf who has declared it is finished, and that He never for a moment leaves His post at the interceding high priestly work on your behalf, then let us indeed say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord our God so that we might worship the Son. That we might proclaim the glories of His person and of His work. It seems that that would only be a proper response to beholding the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And not only in corporate worship, but also then through a lifetime of service. To say to the Son, Here I am. All that I am, all that I have, all that I can do, knowing something of who You are and knowing something of what You have done on my behalf, I present unto You the glorious Son, the eternal Son of God, my very person, my heart, my soul, my mind, my will, my affections, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my my mouth, my voice, my intellect, my ability in whatever respective vocation I have an ability So that whether it be uh, on the farm or in the factory or in the office or in the school or in the home, we would say to Jesus Christ, I am yours because you are mine. I offer the entirety of my being into your service. Knowing something of your divine glory and knowing also something of your redemptive work. And that is the very heartbeat of the mature Christian life. So that then, as we walk through all the days of our lives seeking to honor and glorify and serve Christ, we might anticipate hearing our Lord Jesus Christ say unto us, as we read in Matthew 25, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And that having this Christ focus to our very lives, we might also then here enter into the joy of Your Lord. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise You as the Father, but also the Son as the express image of the Father. And of course, the Holy Spirit as well. Lord, we pray that You would grant us understanding of who Your only begotten Son is, and that we might not only have understanding in our intellect, but also an appreciation in the very depths of our souls. That we might behold the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
that we might receive that grace, that we might embrace that truth, that the children, the young people, those who find themselves in the middle years of their life, as well as those who enter into the mature twilight years, that we might all together and as individual persons glorify the Son both now and forevermore. For Jesus' sake, Amen.